it's easy to give thanks when things are going our way. It's easy to give thanks when things are good. And that's sort of been the theme of this series, that when life is going the way we want it, it's easy to thank God for what He's done. But, but in a year like 2020, sometimes that's a challenge. We've been challenged over and over as individuals, as a community, as a nation, and certainly even across the globe, we faced all kinds of challenges this year. And at times, maybe it's been a little difficult for us to give thanks. And so this time of year comes when we're thinking about Thanksgiving. We're almost there. And most years, we're sort of celebrating everything that's happened this year. Two years ago, we had a service where we celebrated what God had done in the life of our church. We had finished our building, and we were beginning to use it, and we were excited about that. And, and this year, we're looking back going, whoa, where are we going to start our list? Because this is a little more challenging, right? And yet, we've seen Scripture call us over and over to give thanks to God. Over and over to recognize Him for who He is and to thank God just because He's the great God that He is and for the ways that He's blessed us. And today, I want us to continue in that theme and think a little bit about thanking God for the way that He engages with creation, engages with all that really is, even today in this life. I want us to consider that. But you know, as we jump into that, what, what I notice in our culture is that are, there are some forces that are at work sort of keeping us from doing that and keeping our culture from recognizing that we worship a powerful, active, and engaged God. One of them is that for many people, the physical world is really all there is, right? I mean, everything that they see and understand is based on the interplay of atoms, molecules. It's all just that. There's nothing beyond that. And so that sort of, in their minds, cuts out God's activity. Now, we know sometimes God works through those very things because He created them. But for many people, it all has that explanation. Even what's going on in our minds is just the firing of neurons. We have no control over that. So God has very little place in that approach to life. On the other hand, maybe at the other extreme, we have lots of people in our culture who are sort of looking at their lives and thinking, I, I think there's got to be more than just this. I think, I think there's something deeper. I think there's something more powerful going on. And so they're looking for a real sense of spirituality that they haven't found. They want something deeper to be there. And so they're looking. But what we're finding is that while some of them may be looking at Christianity, they're also looking at lots of other things. They're looking for a spirituality that they would say can't be found in the worn out things that are going on in churches on Sunday mornings. And so they seek God. They seek something deeper elsewhere. And then there's a third force at work. And this one is more in the church. And maybe we've talked about this before, but I want to make the point again that Several years ago, a sociologist named Christian Smith, who studies churches and people in churches, did an extensive study of well, what was then students and young adults. These would all be more in the young adult category now. And he surveyed them to help understand their faith, their approach to God. What was their Christianity like? And he summed it up in a, a three-word title, and it's sort of a mouthful, but I want us to take it apart because I think it matters. It's called this. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, what's he talking about? He says this is the religion of a majority of young adults who go 
to church, okay? We're not talking about everybody in the world. We're talking about people in church. So what is it? Let's take it apart. Moralistic. That's all about, okay, you bring your kids to church so they'll be good, moral people. Okay, well, we sort of do that, don't we? I mean, we think if we bring our kids to church, they're going to know right from wrong. They're going to know that you should tell the truth, not a lie. That you shouldn't steal. That you shouldn't hurt people. That they would learn basic morals. And that's true. And in fact, the curriculum that we use for our students and our kids is based on 32 virtues that are biblical that will help them become strong adults. Okay? So there's an element of this that we believe is absolutely true. But let's hold on to it for a second, okay? Moralistic therapeutic. In other words, sometimes we come to church to feel better. Sometimes we come to church because we've got stuff going on in our lives and we think if I, if I get involved in church, then I can deal with that stuff. I will feel better after I go to church. I will feel better because of something I learned at church. And now there again, there's some truth in that, right? We should be learning some biblical truths that will help us deal with life. There's some stuff in Scripture that helps us understand how a marriage should work. There's teaching in Scripture that helps us understand how we can be good parents, how to handle our money, how to be the right kind of people in the marketplace. It's all there. So there's some truth in that too. But what we're saying is that for young adults, they see church as a place just to go to be a better person and feel better about yourself. And then the third word, deism, explains how they understand God. Deism is a sort of a philosophical approach to life that goes back several hundred years. Some of our founding fathers were deists, and what they believe is, yes, there's a God. They believed in God. And they believed that this God even was involved in creation. But once he was done creating, he was just done, okay? And so he stepped back, and he's just sort of watching it all unfold. The classic imagery is a clockmaker who puts everything together, winds up the clock, sets the time, puts the clock on the shelf, and watches it unwind. Okay, so that's what our kids and young adults are seeing. That, that Christianity is all about being a basically good person who feels pretty good about themselves and has some tools to handle life who sees a God who's really not involved in life. Now the problem is there's little bits of truth in some of that, but is it really the picture of God that we see in Scripture? Is it a biblical God or is it a God that we've created out of convenience? A God that maybe does some stuff that we want him to do, but keeps his hands off stuff that we'd just as soon handle on our own. And the next question that Christian Smith asked was, how did our young adults learn this? And the answer is, we taught them. That's what we've taught. So what does Scripture actually say? What does it teach us about this God? And is that view of God right? I want us to turn to another psalm. We've been in the psalms because the psalms are filled with, they're filled with worship language. They're filled with the language of thanksgiving and gratitude, gratefulness. And, 
And with that, it helps us understand how we can be grateful to God even in a time when it seems like it's a little bit more difficult. And so today we turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is unique. And in fact, if you got your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. If you got your phone and use it to look at your Bible, I'd love for you to open that as well. Because, you know, you just look at Psalm 136, you don't even have to read much, and you recognize this psalm is different from every other psalm. It, it just looks different. And the reason is because each verse is basically made up of two lines. And so you have one line and then a refrain. The second line is the same in every one of those 26 verses. His love endures forever. So one line and then his love endures forever. And the way it probably worked is in the temple or some other worship gathering, you have somebody standing up and they're sort of giving this first line. It's a call and response. The call is this is something about God. And then the response of the whole congregation was his love endures forever forever. Let's see how that worked. Verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, to Yahweh. This is the, the Old Testament name for God, the God of Israel, the great I Am. Give thanks to the Lord, Yahweh, for He is good. His love endures forever. Now, this is not the first time that we've seen some of these phrases show up in the past few weeks. Give thanks to Yahweh, for He is good. And we've had several psalms who have described God as good. And when we hear that, it's not, well, God is, God is good, like a ham sandwich. You know, it's a good. It's fine. It's great. It's God is inherently, completely good. There's nothing but goodness in God. And then the refrain his love endures forever. Now, if you've been following along, you've been here, or maybe you watched or listened online, this word love, maybe you're already thinking, huh, that sounds interesting. We've talked a little bit about that before. And this is the Old Testament Hebrew word that we've seen show up in lots of these psalms. Sometimes it's unfailing love. Sometimes it's loving kindness. Sometimes it's just love. It is the word, the Hebrew word, hesed, which means God's covenantal, promise-keeping, faithful love. God made promises to His people. He said, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what you can expect of me. This is what I expect of you. And he kept his promises. So this is God's faithfulness, his unfailing love, we might say. So yes, this shows up again. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. God is above every other God. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And this is just the introduction, and we're going to read a little more in a minute, but here, even in these first three verses, which are a prelude to everything else in the psalm, what we find is our understanding of God that's so prevalent in our world, our understanding of the world itself is inherently flawed. Because this idea that somehow we have passed on to our young adults in churches across our nation, that that being a Christian is just about being a good person who feels good about themselves and worships a God who's really not that involved is wrong. Because this God of the Bible, His faithfulness endures forever. 
You see, when we just read that one line that appears 26 times in this psalm, what that one line says is not that God sits back and watches the clock unfold. What it says is this is a God who is active among people, His people. He's active in creation. In fact, God has made promises and God continues to keep promises. God is always at work engaging in the culture, engaging in this creation. So, to say God is just watching the clock wind down is flawed because we have an act of God. Verse 4, To Him alone who does great wonders, His love endures forever. Who by His understanding made the heavens, His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, His love endures forever. Who made the great lights, His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, His love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, His love endures forever. This is a God of creation. This is a powerful God who brought everything into being. And because of that, the psalm is all about worship. God's faithfulness. God is engaged in creation. Now, if you read through the rest of the psalm, and we're going to pick up the ending of it, but if you read through, what you find out is this big next big section is all about how God has saved His people Israel. How He brought them out of slavery, made them a people, gave them a land. All these things, and then His love endures forever. You see, it's all about, again, God making His promises and keeping His promises. This is an active God. And my guess is, if this psalm had been written in the first century rather than several hundred years before that, what we would have is the psalmist talking about God redeeming His people through Jesus. God offering eternal life. God dealing with our problem of sin. Because God keeps working in human history. God keeps working in creation because His love, His faithfulness endures forever. Let's pick up the end of the psalm. Down verse 23. He remembered us, His people, in our low estate. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies his love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. He remembers his people. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that remembering is not just like, oh yeah, I've got a people. It's to act favorably towards. So God is taking care of his people. He's feeding them. He's freeing them. And the whole point is, following this God, this God that's described so clearly in the Psalms, is not about just being a, a decent human being. It is about that. It's not just about feeling a little better about ourselves than we did yesterday, and certainly we should feel that we are loved by God, we are held in His hands, we are valuable, we were made by Him. That's good, but it's not enough either. And it's certainly not enough to say that God created and then sort of watches it unfold. That's not the God we see described in Scripture. What we see described in this psalm and throughout the New Testament is a God who has acted in powerful ways to make His creation right again, to offer forgiveness and eternal life to those of us who 
have sinned and don't deserve it. And because of all that, we can proclaim his love endures forever. I think about this psalm and how we approach thankfulness this year. I might say it this way. A God who acts deserves acts of praise. And we do serve a God who acts today in this world. A God who engages in creation now. You know, what we find in this psalm is, is what is called sometimes by the scholars a recital of the mighty acts of God. When we think of a recital, we think of like a kid playing piano, right? It, it can mean that. But a recital can also mean let's, let's list some things together and let's recite it. And so they recited over and over the mighty acts of God. And it teaches me that a God who acts deserves some acts of praise from us. And so it's good for us at times to, to recite the mighty acts of God. To together talk about what God has done in Jesus, in the life of the church, in our own lives, and to celebrate this God whose faithfulness, unfailing love, His loving kindness endures forever. It is good for us to think about what God has done. Now, this gets us back to maybe where we would have started. If we started thinking about, okay, at the beginning of the series, why should I be thankful to God? One of the things that we would say is because of all that God's done. And this psalm reminds us that is a good reason to give thanks to God. We should be thankful because God provided us food to eat this morning, because we could be together for worship today, because we have this church that stands in a blessing, as a blessing in our lives, because we're looking forward to eternal life or we're praising God all the time with Christians from all times in history. We have reason to recite the mighty acts of God and to be confident that his love endures not just through today, but forever. And that he will continue to engage in the creation that he brought into existence. It's God who acts, deserves our acts of praise. He loves his creation. You see, he's called us to more than just being basically good people who feel pretty decent about themselves. He's called us to salvation and forgiveness and to spending all of life and all of eternity worshiping and praising Him and participating in what He is doing now, partnering with God, allowing our lives to mean something more than they would without Him. A God who acts deserves acts of praise. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that you love us so much that you're at work in our lives. We're thankful that so many times you've brought healing, you've given us strength, you've given us forgiveness, and you allow us to look forward to eternal life. God, we're thankful for all that, and we give you praise and honor and glory for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.